Welcome to the SBS Volta Espana podcast with Zwift. Last year in the Volta, we saw Zwift Academy winner Jay Vine come desperately close to a stage win. And this year, another Zwift Academy winner, Neve Bradbury, performed brilliantly at the Giro Donna, finishing 10th overall. Well, it's all about to kick off again. Registrations are open and the Zwift Academy starts on the 12th of September. Importantly, it's not just about elite riders chasing a pro contract. Anyone can take part. The Zwift Academy features six structured workouts over four weeks. And after you've graduated, Zwift will share workout and training recommendations based on your results. It's a great way to find your strengths and go further. So if you want to dive in and start riding with a free seven-day trial, head to Zwift.com. Now here's Christoph and Macca with the SBS Volta Espana podcast with Zwift. Bonjour, bonjour, buenos dias, and uh, welcome to the Zwift SBS Cycling Podcast. Another day, another rooftop in Spain, and I'm happy to welcome uh, our, my dear friend, Dave McKenzie, on this podcast today. How are you, Maka? I am pretty good, mate. I'm not sure who's hotter at the moment, Mads Pedersen or yourself. Um, it, it's, a, it's a photo finish, but uh, I think I'll give it to Mads. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you've uh, probably appreciated the little uh, audio work I had to do on this one, because even the media officer was quite surprised by the, the language that he used on this uh, amazing on yeah, the radio. Yeah, yeah, very good. Very good, yes. We're very PC here, so that's cool. We've got to, we've got we to, to. We've got to we tie the to. line, and so we, we want to. We have to. And then joining us is our very good friend as well, Mark Renshaw. How are you, Mark? I'm um, excellent. Thanks, Christoph. It's definitely it's nice in Melbourne, but Jesus, nowhere near as nice as Spain. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't. I mean, I, I only have a few days left uh, on, on this gig, so uh, I may as well enjoy it. You know, may as yeah, enjoy, enjoy it, pal. Enjoy <laughs> it while well, you can. Uh, uh, Matt Peterson had a great day. Uh, we can't say uh, the same thing for uh, the Roglic. Uh, and you know what? Why don't we go through what happened yesterday? Because the news is that Primoz Roglic is out of the race. He will not start uh, stage 17 today. And this is what happened. Uh, take us through exactly what happened, Mark, here. Yeah, look, as we made this final bend in, with Roglic, he's committed already two and a half kilometres on the front, so he's absolutely spent. We can see there his elbow is just collected with Fred Wright's hip and instantly he's gone down. You just can't come back from that. He probably only connected it just for, you know, a centimetre or two and you can just see how brutal this force was. It drops him in a second. He doesn't even know. He's dazed. He's confused. He doesn't really understand what's just happened. But I think the big injury is underneath his right elbow. We saw blood just gushing out from that. The images after that, they weren't nice at all, but it just showed how quickly that cut and how much blood was coming out. Yeah. Of course, 190 RPM, oh, beats mm-hmm. per minute, sorry, he's on his limit. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, we're not going to play most of the footage I could have played because it's never uh, nice to replay this sort of thing. But what we can say, Maka, is that he looked Pained. He looked in pain, but he looked stunned as well. He must have hit his head really hard. Well, I mean, most of the time when you crash, you're not actually ready for it, I, I suppose. And he certainly wasn't ready for that one. 
Um, and, you know, and as Mark pointed out, how, how it happened, how it unfolded, there was all sorts of things flying around on the internet overnight. There was something stuck on the road. They were half yeah. blaming that. Um, they, they, any, anyone with half a... I even well, when they were in the Crocs that was naked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it was literally how Mark said it happened, okay? So anyone out there with all these conspiracy theories, forget yeah. it. He literally hit Fred Wright's hip or elbow, one or the other, but they connected. But I must say, I'm really devastated for him, actually, and because he was the real animator in the last few days. Whether or not he was going to win or not, yeah. we were probably leaning towards the battle was between himself and Avenipol. Yeah. Um, now it's up to Mus, Enrique Mus, now to step up and see if he can, you know, launch a real challenge. But it's a real shame for Roglic to go yeah. out in that fashion, especially, you know, he attacked, as Mark said, he, he was on the front like for the last saying, two yeah. kilometres. Like Sean is saying here, he was such an animator on the whole race and on yesterday mm. as well. Mark, when you saw... Uh, the the route we sort of knew it was for uh, um, a sprint could be the ending of this uh, of this uh, of this stage. Mats Peterson's name was all over it, but the audacity that Roglic had attacking so far away and just basically lighting up the start and changing the rule, changing the game for that stage. Exactly as you mentioned, inside that final seven kilometers, we were commentating last night, and look, it was an exceptional stage till then. Yeah. But geez, it just opened up seven kilometers to go. We saw Caden Groves puncher, and then we saw, you know, we saw Vanderpool. He wasn't in great position, but yeah. then when we hit that climb, I'm so proud of myself because I backed Roglic in to have a stab at it, and that's what he did. He came up the left hand side of the road, he came from a long way back, maybe top 20. Hit them with speed. It was only Pedersen, actually, in the start, it was only Ackerman that could yeah. follow. And then Pedersen, he managed to get to Ackerman. Ackerman swung off, wanted to play the long game, put uh, put him in the wheel of Roglic. And then to see Roglic, you know, go down so close to the finish line, it, yeah, it's, it's drama. And look, it's cycling. It just every time, every day of racing, there's always something like this. Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, good you mentioned uh, Ackerman because we're going to listen to him. This is Pascal Ackerman straight after the finish. The shot already up in the last days that he is really good and, and I really, really wanted to win and tried everything today and yeah, we still have one chance in Madrid and I'm going to try it again and congrats to Mats. That was chapeau. <laughs> what Thank I you can say. Much. Thank you very much. That was uh, Pascal Ackerman straight uh, after the finish. Maka, uh, nice little uh, German jersey. We're going to see a bit of skin here. Uh, we know, we know <laughs> uh, there's no, they're not shy of doing this, but uh, Pascal Ackerman did a grand job. Didn't pay off in the end, but what a job he did yesterday. Yeah, look, he's been good. And I mean, he he pays credit to, to Mads Pedersen. Mads is the man. And look, he always was the man on these uphill sort of drags to the line, I think. You know, 99% of people in tippy comps would have picked Mads yeah. Pedersen last night. But Ackerman is going well. He's got good form. And when you're getting beaten by the likes of Mads Pedersen and not too many others, then, you know, you're you're at the pointy end of world cycling. So he should be pretty happy with himself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's listen to uh, Mads Pedersen. And in the meantime, let us know what you think uh, this uh, do not start by a uh, roglic means to the race. Uh, we are very keen to hear your opinion or your questions. Uh, there's a box below somewhere where you are watching us. Uh, please feel free to, to put a comment or a question. And uh, we are live, so we are more than happy to uh, to have a chit chat with you for this. But for now, let's listen to the winner of the stage yesterday. It was Matt Pedersen. You wanted a second stage win. Is it the way you wanted to win? Yeah, really. Like 
everyone was working really hard today and uh, I promised Kios to, to win today. He got a daughter yesterday and he wasn't there for the birth. So uh, the whole team worked really hard to give him this uh, second present in a few days. So this win is for Alex and his wife and his new kid. Did you expect uh, Roglic to, to attack with 2.5k to go? No, not really actually, but uh, it was a really smart move. Everyone was really on the limit and Ackermann was straight in his wheel, really good job. And I had to use a lot of energy to close him, but uh, it was a really good move. Did you hear him crashing behind you? I, I didn't hear it. I wanted to go to him here and I saw he was, yeah, with destroyed clothing. So. It's a, it's a pity that he crashed. He's uh, he hasn't been lucky this year, and uh, I hope it's not too bad, so he can keep uh, contending for the for the victory of the Welter. Thank you. Uh, so that was uh, obviously yesterday, uh, straight after the finish, so uh, the news wasn't uh, broken yet, that uh, Roglic is not going to start the stage today. Uh, Mads Peterson, uh, Mark, we know how quality rider he is, but these little comments for the team, for his teammates that had a, a baby during, the, during that race and was missing it, this is the human side of cycling that we not necessarily see in many other sports. You probably went through some of those in your in your lifetime uh this is what a team really is exactly it's that's how that works in the teams and you've got to think eight eight riders they may be missing a couple now but there's guys in there and they've got wives families kids at home and to um you can only imagine what alex kirsch is going through to have his wife at home pregnant having probably their their first child look it's, it's a huge moment for him and he's on the race and he's supporting Mads Pedersen to take the victory on the stage. And that just shows the camaraderie, camaraderie the teamwork around cycling and, and what's involved to be successful. So it just shows how, how big a leader Mads is, ex-world champion. We all know he's a top guy, but to dedicate that victory to a teammate who's not there to witness the birth of their child, it's, it's the most he can do apart from winning the stage is dedicate that to him. And, and yeah, what a top teammate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a few questions here uh, coming through, so we uh, we probably will uh, read them through as we as we go along. But this one straight away, of course, we are interested because it's the question we ask when Alaphilippe went out as well. Do we know if we still come to Wollongong? Well, I guess the answer is no. We don't know. Uh, we wouldn't but think so. This is up there, you know. But uh, Maka, your your bet on it? Yeah, I I, I wouldn't think so. No, I I'd, I'd think now that's probably season season over. For Roglic, um, you know, we don't know the extent of the injuries, but I just think the fact that he's not good enough to continue here tells me why would you want to get on a plane in a week's time, or not even yeah. a week's time, yeah, maybe less, uh, 24-hour flight, still with some pretty stiff and sore bones and muscles, um, and then front up for a TT and a road race. I just don't think he'd be in good enough shape. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you, and I guess Mark agrees as well. Uh, there's another question here that. Now we've got the withdrawal of Primoz, Mark. Is this going to open up the battle even more than now? Maybe more Yumbo going to attack. They're going to be freer in doing some attacking, uh, Chris Harper and so on. Uh, is this going to lit up the race differently? But is it going to still lit up the race, do you think? Uh, look, I think it's going to put a bit of a dampener on the top 10. I think Roglic, for me, was the one of the guys who had the potential to get a Vanderpool out of that red jersey. He's definitely one of the strongest. We, we've seen that. But for the top 10, 
look, there's so many young riders, but I just don't think they've got the ability to to upset Vanderpool now. He's he's been so cool, so calm, so collected, and we saw that in the stage yesterday. To have you know the drama he had, and then you know slow and steady, he's just no stress at all. So I think for the top ten, it's really going to play in the into the hands of Vanderpool. And look, you're never happy when a teammate goes home or a competitor. Sorry, but. Um, I think, yeah, he'll breathe a sigh of relief that it was the second person on GC and, and not one a little bit further down. And uh, what was interesting as well to see, and this is so the humanity again of this sport. I love this sport. You haven't guessed that. We all love this sport here around. But the way Remco crossed the line and straight away went to see, I think he was chatting with Chris Harper, trying to understand how bad uh, Roglic was. And I think that was also an indicator we could have seen at the time that Chris just pretty much say. Thank you, but leave leave him alone for now because he's not great. Don't you think, Micah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, no, no. It was it was nice of uh, Vanderpool to do that. You know, he was pr probably barely well. He was only barely been aware that he crashed because obviously he changed his uh, he changed his bike or changed his wheel, so he wouldn't have seen him go down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was a nice gesture, and gee, at that time. As we've already said, Roglic was in no shape to really talk. He was he yeah. was pretty dazed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they uh, comment here. There is a lot of talk about the flat tire, uh, the three kilometers. Guess what? Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about this. Of course, we are going to talk about this. But this is not the talk. The main talk of today. It was up until maybe an hour and a bit ago. But uh, the beauty of being live is that we had to reshuffle the the whole uh, rundown of what we're doing today. Uh, why don't we go through some of the interviews after the race? And I want. To listen to one of my uh, one of our new favorites here, I guess Fred Wright. Listen to him. Man, that was one of the hardest upward sprints I've ever done in my life. Just waiting for the top and just to like sit on a wheel, but yeah, I, I had to stall a bit on the climb actually that, that messed me up a bit, but it was still flat out to the top. And yeah, I, I thought okay, I'll sit at the back this time. I don't know if they know I'm here. You know, a bit different to last time, but I, I mean, I got out of the saddle and tried to go but the legs didn't really have it I must say I think it didn't help that Roglic was coming back like did he, he crashed didn't he I don't, that wasn't that was a sprint in it so I don't think it was he touched the wheel and he was the last wheel and I think he touched yeah. the wheel well I was coming out and around and he was coming back close to the line so I don't know hope he's alright <laughs> of all the scenarios you visited this morning and the way you might try and win it was that one of them that a group might attach itself like that Nah, not really. I just knew I had to stay around Mads, around Danny and uh, Ackerman and see. I think I kind of knew it would be us four, like sprinting for it. But yeah, maybe not quite like that. In the end, we were just following Roglic. <laughs> How much of an effort was that with Primoz's power at the front? Yeah, it was pretty, it was something special, you know. You can tell they planned that one in the, in the meeting, but yeah, I'm a bit disappointed again, but I think this time, we didn't really have the legs. Well, we'll look at the climb again, and maybe I was a bit too far back again, but I didn't, we didn't expect to go that hard, you know? In my head, it was like a sprinter's team riding at a pace that would stop people attacking, but there's no stopping Roglic when he wants to do something like that, so. Thanks, Rod. Thanks, Rod. Thanks, Rod. Thanks, Rod. Shit. Um, yeah, I'll have to send him a message. <laughs> Hope he's all right, man. Cheers. Thank you. 
So that was uh, Fred Wright. I know the interview was a, a bit long, Maka, uh, but we just can't stop loving that guy. The uh, the freshness and uh, and the, the how frank he's telling us, and and he was first and foremost involved in that crash without wanting to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll say it again. He's like a character out of Lock, Stock and Two Smoking <laughs> Barrels or a Guy Ritchie movie. So, um, no, he's great talent. He's great talent, obviously, on the bike. He's great talent off the bike. And, um, yeah, look, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? And I might bring you in on this, Mark. They obviously touched bodies, but Fred was barely – like, he was aware of it, but he wasn't fully aware of what had happened that can be the case, can't it? When you're when you've got sort of white line fever with 100 meters to go, you know you touch wheels, but um, things happen so quickly, don't they? Like he he, there was no bluffing there. He wasn't fully aware how bad Roglic was or how even it had really yeah. happened. Yeah, look, I I probably disagree there. I think Fred Wright, deep down, he knows that uh, Roglic had his elbow in his hip. Because you could just see, ask the question, is he okay? Ooh, I better go and see him. So for me, Fred Wright, he felt that uh, Roglic hit him. And then he summed it up. Oh, that was just a racing, that was just a sprint incident. So for me, I think he knows he came back. He had nothing to worry about. It's absolutely 100% Roglic's fault. He's got he's to take that on the chin. He came from the left side of the road. He came across to the right. And there he hit the, you know, he hit his, hit his hip and, instantly came down so but i absolutely love fred right his interviews are just uh, awesome and i think he he sells himself short in giving him you know he said he started a little bit too far back on that climb but he's one of only four riders that was able to follow roglic so and he and he backed himself in as well he mentioned that that he had the legs so he's going to be a classy rider i really hope the media officer doesn't wrangle him too much and put in his mouth <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and also as we said this before in the podcast, but I just can't wait for him to win because this is how exciting he is when he's not winning. Uh, so imagine the, that celebration yeah. the day he wins the stage, and I hope it happens sooner than than later because he's such a, a brilliant rider. Uh, let's uh, have a look through the, some of the comments here again. Uh, there's a, there's a comment that I just uh, uh, put here uh, from Deb. What would do you think? Uh, Rog would have had to come so close back to the riders, even though he knew in that sprint he was already out outpowered. Was it just a simple mistake? Yeah, he was just on his limit. Mark just made the gesture. He was on his limit, wasn't he? The so, international gesture of on the limit <laughs> in cycling. I thought you it was do, this. Do that one. There's no, no chance you can come through. <laughs> No, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, why don't we uh, listen to uh, Jay Vine as well? Because he was in the stage yesterday. He was not at all interested by that finish. Uh, but let's listen to uh, some of his answers. Jay Vine. Did you get bored today? Did I get bored? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was pretty slow at the start. Uh, mine was drifting a little bit, but um, it was pretty fast in the end and pretty technical, it turns out. Yeah, tell us about the end. Uh... What did you have to do for your team? Uh, how did your teammates go? Stanart and Berlier were your leaders of the day. Yeah, so I think Robert's got a uh, mechanical before the finish. Um, my role was to try and keep us in position heading over the first big climb on the plateau. Um, and yeah, from there on, I'm not sure what happened because I dropped. <laughs> Are you looking forward to uh, climbing? Sorry? Are you looking forward to climbing again tomorrow yeah. and the following day? So yeah, uh, yes, yes. Look, what do you have in mind? 
definitely looking forward to uh, the next coming coming days. Uh, not sure what will happen. I think there will be a bunch more breakaway wins uh, before the end of this tour. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be some tough riding. Do you just want to defend this jersey or are you hungry for more? For one more oh, stage win? Yeah, oh, of course, definitely um, after some more stage wins. But, uh, yeah, it will just be picking the right move and uh, getting a bit lucky depending on if the GC group wants, uh, wants a victory because they haven't had many this tour. So as uh, J-Vine and of course, uh, Maka, uh, we have our good old friend, uh, Jean-Francois, straight to the jugular, straight with the jugular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, hey, Jeff knows he can get away with a little bit with the Aussies. Um, <laughs> he's looked after many of us over the years. So he's well within his rights. And J-Vine's probably not, he's such a newcomer to the sport still. He's probably like, who is this guy? <laughs> He'll soon find out though, no doubt. Where, where, where's the work experience kid? You know, I want a question from the work experience kid. Who is this well, dude? Well, you're on the ground. Where is he? <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's really busy. He's really busy. No, he's, uh, he's done a few work uh, as well today. But uh, um, the, the interviews today, I thought, were more fitting on uh, on this story, where the ones from uh, from ASO straight away. Uh, Mark, how do you rate Jevine uh, since the beginning of this race? Uh, and, of course, the next three, four days are really open for him to, one, save that jersey, bring it back home, and also maybe, you know, one, two more stage wins, possible. Well, what an, what an exceptional welter from Jay Vine. Just if you remember back to stage one, he probably had ambitions of winning. Now he's won two stages. He's in that polka dot jersey, the, the climber's jersey. And look, I, I'm not surprised if he'll win at least one more stage in this year's welter. He mentioned that the GC guys, they haven't taken many victories, but we're going to see a Vanderpool. He's going to play a defensive race all the way until the finish. He doesn't want to have to defend it. So if he can leave the, the stage victories, leave those bonuses, you know, to uh, to breakaway riders. And Jay Vine, he's just stepped up amazingly. It's just it's out of control how much he's just yeah. come good from, you know, his whole past to where he is now. And we spoke about it in commentary last night, Christoph. His confidence is just going to grow every day that he has that jersey on. Everybody's contacting him. Obviously, he's, he's hot property now in that yeah. climbing market. So he's just going to get better and better. Yeah, and then uh, we said with Maca before, but uh, a back-to-back Polkado jersey uh, in uh, in Vuelta. Well, it's not worth the Polkado jersey in the Tour de France. We all agree. <laughs> uh, or I agree with myself on this one. But it's, it's such a great performance. If we can, for Australia bag, a double Polkado back-to-back. Maca. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's It's... We get used to it. We've we've, talk, we've said this before. We've had these discussions before, Christoph and even Mark. We're so used to Australians now delivering the goods at the on the highest level on the highest stage, and we we you know <laughs> we get almost peeved off if they, if they don't deliver yes. us a, a grand to a stage or a jersey or something. We're really spoiled, and we shouldn't we shouldn't ever take it for granted. And every generation, I mean, Mark, you were yours and my generation we crossed over a little bit but the generation before us and the generation before that you know each generation just keeps getting better and I thought in my era with with guys like Mark and you know Stuart O'Grady and Cadell and all these guys I thought wow can the, can the generation get any better can they deliver any more and yeah sure we we you know Cadell won the Tour de France that's the absolute pinnacle but Gee, I think um, I think the next five years is looking pretty damn good at the moment. 
Yep, absolutely. Totally agree. Right. Now, we need to talk about a certain flat tire that has happened yesterday. It Go was talk it. of the... <laughs> or has it? Uh, it was the talk of the town uh, straight after the stage up until uh, this morning. And I said we had to reshuffle uh, this program to bring you the, bre the breaking news that Roglic was not uh, starting on uh, today's stage. But Maka, take us through this flat tyre. Because I've done a little bit of investigation on this one, first of all. Was it a flat tyre? Was it not a flat tyre? There's so much talk about it. It's certainly, I would say, very convenient happening within a 3K, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I like your zoom in there too. Um, look, first things first, let's go back. Well, let's look at the photos there. You can see it looks like there's some air in the tyres. There might be 20 or 30 PSI. That's not really rideable, and that does warrant a flat tyre. But let's go back to six, seven kilometres even. Uh, Eventipol was out of position. Now, he could have lost a bit of position just because there was jostling, but he hasn't mm -hmm. lost position all tour, really, when it's mattered. So something tells me, and this was put up on social media as well. There was a couple of Twitter accounts that, that sort of really delved into this, and I, and I tend to agree. I think he had his flat tie up six or seven kilometres to go. He's nursed it until the three kilometres to go, which is where he's legally allowed to change. Well, he can change the wheel whenever, but where he's legally allowed to make a change and not lose time, therefore be given the same accredited time as the bunch that he's in. So he's done within the rules, hasn't mm. he? Um, you know, Mark, I'll throw this to you. What's your thoughts on it all? Yeah, look, I can give you two answers. I can give you the answer as a professional bike rider because that's pretty recent. I can give you the answer from somebody at With their book, with their book, Mark. <laughs> from the rider's point of view, he has absolutely nailed it. He's probably got that flat tyre about seven kilometres to go, and he's nursed it all the way inside the final three kilometres. He's utilised that rule, and he's made the most of it. But now, out of the game, as a commentator, I just don't agree with it. I don't know if it's right, if we need to change it up. Because for me, now we're, we've gone to tubeless tyres, we're running sealant, Although he's punctured, he's able to nurse it all the way inside the final three kilometres. He's commenced that climb about 60 to 70th position. So for me to give him the bunch time of top 30 positions in that stage, I just don't think it's right. But that's me as a commentator. That's me here watching the race, not inside the race. And for sure, if I was a rider, I'd be utilising that to the max. David Bramati, he would have been in the radio telling Remco, you cannot stop. You cannot change this tyre now. You will not come back to the front of the race. You have to nurse it inside the final three kilometres. And that's what he would have got in the radio, and that's what he did. But, but he's, he was cool and calm. Yeah. Is, is that even legal? Or is it just playing the rules, Mark? Is, is that no, legal to go with flat tyres? I'm bringing it to the first the, the third K, and this is how it's going to be. Is that legal? Absolutely. That's legal. He, he didn't put his hand up. He didn't call the, the flat tyre till inside the final three kilometres. He had that mechanical. The rule states if you do have a problem inside the final three kilometres, it's very hard to prove whether it went flat with six or seven kilometres to go, three and a half kilometres to go, or right inside three kilometres. It's really hard to prove that. Only Remco knows that. And those team directors, they've just they've nailed it. They've got him inside the final three. And look at that. He didn't have to go deep at all in the final of that stage. And he's end up at eight seconds from the win. And look, it's just... It's all all went perfect for Remco yesterday. 
And, and that's the thing, uh, Maka, and I'm just going to point this out, just bringing the photo again. Uh, and that's Kino that pointed out to me uh, this morning, saying there's a bit of white powder around the wheels, which tells us that there is a puncture. It's not so much the, the, the PSI or anything, it's the fact that the flat tire did happen, and we can see this with the, the white powder around the wheel. But up until Roglic crashing, Remco, like you just said, Mark, played the cart super well because he would have finished only eight seconds down with absolutely zero effort in the finish when Roglic would have ripped it out, ripped it out completely open and just gained eight seconds. And that was a masterstroke. Almost very, very, you know, super smart. Oh, look, it all went perfect. Sorry, Maka. Oh, yeah. No, no, go. go. <laughs> I, um, yeah, look, he played it super smart. And you can imagine the stress in the car at that moment. Uh, to have sealant in the tyres, it's a big hand. Like, it helps a lot. But, um, yeah, very stressful moments. I wouldn't like to have been inside that car and, and hear the commentary over the radio there with what, six, seven kilometres to go. Yeah. Let's listen to uh, Remco Evenepoel after uh, the stage, and then we'll come back and we have uh, a little bit more to, to discuss about uh, the next few days for the man in red, Remco Evenepoel. Very eventful finale. What happened to you? Yeah, the, a puncture on, on my rear wheel. I, was, uh, I wasn't in the best position because, uh, yeah, I knew we, we did a recon of the final yesterday and we, we fell at the road so really slippery. So uh, I was a little bit scared, to be honest, in, in the last uh, 4 or 5k. So uh, I lost some positions and then I wanted to move up on the steep bump. Um, but uh, my rear wheel just went off, so I fell at either a flat tire and uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm happy that the three kilometer rule exists, uh, otherwise I would have lost a lot of time today. Um, and then I, I heard that Primo's crash, so I really hope he's okay and that he can uh, continue the race. Did you expect him to attack with 2.5k to go? Yeah, actually, yes. Uh, I mean, we all know that Primoz is really explosive, so a final like this is really made for him. So, uh, yeah, that, made it, that makes it even, uh, um, yeah, I would say, it's even more a pity for him that he, that he crashed. Uh, you never want somebody to crash, so uh, I hope he's okay. It's the first time for you to do the third week of a race. How did you feel today? Yeah, I felt recovered. Uh, I really needed the... The rest day, I think, because uh, because of my crash as well, I really had uh, some soreness in uh, in my muscles. So uh, the, the rest day was really welcome. So uh, I felt uh, much better today than I did uh, on Saturday and uh, even on Sunday. So uh, it looks it looks pretty good for uh, for the next of the week. Thank you very much. He looks even better for the rest of the week for, for Remco since the news uh, this morning that uh, Roglic will not start the stage uh, today. Maka, uh, so much maturity, we said it before, but he played it very calm. Uh, he looks like the boss. Uh, he looks even more like the boss today. Well, he does. He's extended his advantage. You know, uh, uh, potentially losing only eight seconds we, and we dissected all of that. But now with Roglic out, he's actually extended his advantage from that stage. And there it is. You've got the red line through Roglic, so he's officially out. So now it's down to Enric Mas at two minutes and one seconds. Juan Ayuso, this is the big news, potentially. He now virtually um, goes onto the podium, and he, believe it or not, at the moment, and if he makes it to Madrid on the podium, he will be the second, only the second youngest rider ever. And you can see this tweet here. Um, from Amity pre Riley, I haven't yeah. said that correctly, but they do post some really good stuff. Um, if you read that, under 20 riders standing on the final Grand Tour podium hasn't happened 
has only happened once before, and it was Henri Cornet. We've talked about this guy before, winning the 1904 Tour de France at 19 years of age. But you know the classic story with this guy, the Frenchman know, this is? I, I know 1905. <laughs> yeah, so, well, 1904, he, he actually finished fifth overall. Yeah. But the four guys before him caught the train on a number of stages. <laughs> so all of the stage winners and the top four were relegated. Yeah. And it was months later, Henri Cornet, the 19-year-old, was deemed the winner of the Tour de France. So Ayuso hasn't caught any trains. Controversy in cycling started that early? Oh, mate, it was, <laughs> it's human nature, isn't it? But what we do know is that Ayuso has not caught any trains yeah. He hasn't done anything dodgy like no. that. So I'd love to see him finish on the podium. Create a bit but but Mark, when you look at this, uh, this now top nine, because we, have, uh, we haven't got uh, um, moved uh, Roglic out of, the, uh, of this, when you see is pretty much Remco Evenepoel against Spain, isn't it? It is certainly indeed. But just the age of the riders yeah. is what I want to touch on. The top four, we've got the oldest rider in mass at 27 years of age. We've got 22 for uh, Remco of Annapol, 19 Ayuso, 21. Like, the age of these riders, it is just incredible that they're so young and they're up there, you know, knocking on the door to win this Vuelta Espana. And what excites me is now we've got two Aussies in the top nine, so ninth and eighth for Ben O'Connor and Jai Hindley. Hindley. Yeah, and then we know Jai is not uh, super happy with his performance. So there's been a few articles after the race day. He was expecting a lot more, but it's already in the top 10, which is not bad after the year he had, Maka. Yeah, it's, that's it. I mean, and we, we, I think we touched on it, Mark, with, with Kino last night. I mean, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, if he can hold his position all the way to Madrid, I think he'll look back on, you know, his three-month block here. <laughs> He's won the Giro d'Italia and he's finished top 10 at the Vuelta. It's a pretty good result because no one else from the Giro really has been outstanding here. So so that's pretty good. Um, yeah, and even Carapaz is behind him and yeah. Lander, who was third, is having a, he's having a shocker. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nice messages from Michel. Uh, love having Mark involved. Well, we do as well. <laughs> we love having Mark uh, involved with us. <laughs> don't give uh, him too much love. Uh, is it Michaeli? Or don't don't give don't give don't give him too much no, love. We've got to keep treating mean to keep him keen. Someone no, is getting worried for his role here. No. <laughs> no, I think every day. Just want to touch quickly uh, on Jai. Like, not that we need to validate that victory in the Volta, but really, when you can turn up at the second Grand Tour of the year, run top ten. It just shows you the depth that, that we've got in Australian cycling and with Jai and Ben. But, geez, like top 10 in the Vuelta a España, mm. that's a dream for most riders. Not only has he won the Giro, but he's going to turn up here and he's outperforming, outclassing, yeah. you know, some of the big riders that you just mentioned. So, mm. uh, go Jai. And, yeah. and mention as well uh, Ben O'Connor, because Ben O'Connor is also in that top 10. Uh, we know our rubbish of a Tour de France he had. Uh, him finishing a top 10 is also validating all the hard work that has been done this year. Yes, he was expecting a lot more. Yes, we were expecting a lot more from him. But come on, now, Mark, you agree with me? Top 10 here for, for Ben is also would be a great result yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a top ride by Ben O'Connor. And he's another rider that's progressed... I had the chance to ride with him and I, I roomed with Ben O'Connor. So oh. to see him step up and, it, you know, he, he won't be happy with top 10. He will not be happy because he expects to be on the podium. That's the kind of rider he is. He's got the engine. 
I don't know about the team. I'd love to see him change teams into a more dynamic, yeah. you know, bigger budget team. See him at Ineos even. Can you imagine that? So he's got the potential. Get the engine a little bit bigger and look out. They've got enough riders, Ineos. That's yeah. it. They've got enough riders. Let's move They're all leaving. <laughs> They're all leaving. I know. There's a whole change of the guard. Uh, there's a question from Deb here. Uh, do we think Jay Vine will hang out to the Polkadot jersey? Maka? Yes. I think he will. Yeah, he's going to make it his number one priority. We touched on it again, I think, last night. Carapaz was sort of not so interested in the first King of the Mountains points, showed that he was purely going for the stage win, whereas yeah. Jay absolutely gassed it, took the points. I think that as long as he prioritises the jersey, he will win it. And, and knowing him a little bit more now over those last three weeks, if someone has planned it, he's Jay Vine. If someone knows where and when to take the points to keep that jersey, is Jay Vine. He's not doing anything entirely by instinct. Everything is calculated and he knows exactly uh, what he will be doing, to, needed to do to, uh, to keep that jersey. One quick discussion I'd like to have with you, uh, Mark, on this, towards the end of this, this, uh, this program. Uh, if Remco wins this red jersey, that would be the first Grand Tour win for a quick step team. Okay? Uh, you've Road into a quick state team. They were and they are a predominantly a classics team. They win all the Ardennes and this is where they want to be, the, the Flandrian Ardennes. This is, this is their heartland. What does that change for them if they win a Grand Tour? And what do they need to do to transform themselves? Do they want to transform themselves as a Grand Tour winning machine or they just happen to win this one? I think for, for quick step to win this race, and, and especially with Remco Vanderpool, a Belgium you know, in a Belgium team. And you're right, they are a classics team. But, you know, I know Patrick Lefebvre. I know what he'll want. And he'll want that victory. He'll want to add that to the Palomars because, you know, you can win as many classics, but you want to be a well-rounded team. And that's what Patrick, uh, you know, he's got that big ego. He wants success. And to do it with a Belgium rider, a young Belgium rider, you know, he'll, he'll love that success. And he'll love the media. He'll love everything around it. It'll justify the whole sponsorship of the team. And, you know, it's a feather in the cap and, you know, they haven't got that many victories in, especially overall in the Grand Tours. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, big pressure from Patrick on Remco's shoulders, I believe. And next, I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going to be outrageous. Maka knows it's coming. <laughs> you know it's coming, but would the next step being an Philippe like take, try to take on the Tour de France? Mark, okay. do you want to? You, Mark, <laughs> Mark, you answer him. <laughs> oh, look, I think I think it might be a bit too much to chew off for, for Alaphilippe. I think they've they're really going to have to recruit. I think a specialist um, for the Tour de France. That there is just so limited guys with the chance to win the Tour. Um, you know, Ben O'Connor. Imagine that. Go to quick step <laughs> in the Tour de France. Mm. I just Alaphilippe is too explosive. He's just a little bit of a hothead. He loves racing. Uh, so I think the Tour de France is a little bit out of reach, but, you know, quick step, they're, they're, they're the number one team at recruiting in the world. So I'm sure Patrick Lefebvre, he'll have something in his back pocket. My dream is broken, officially well, broken. I've tried every single avenue for someone to tell me, yes, there is a chance, but there is absolutely, of course, no chance. <laughs> but like, you know, I'm, I'm a defense, broken man. <laughs> in your defence, Christophe, he's, he's in the... Alaphilippe, as good as he is, look at who, who he's up against. To or yeah. look at any uh, look who anyone is up against if they want to win the tour. With, with well, Roglic probably not now, but um, Pogaccia, of course, Vingago, and then these young Spaniards coming through. And, and I Remco mean, it's one of the up. hardest errors. Uh, 
Remco coming up because the next yeah. phase for Remco would be yeah. try to do something like this, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Why not? Yeah. So much uh, going on. So let's have a look at the, the stage as well uh, tonight because there is a stage tonight. And the, uh, we are the business end, toward the business end of this uh, Vuelta Maca. This should be a beauty, I think. It should be a very interesting stage. Yeah, it will be an interesting stage. Look, it's not a mountainous st stage per se. It is a summit finish, 162 kilometres. There's still 2,800 metres of climbing. That's not a monster day, but when you look at that, one categorised climb, it's enough climbing. And just let me touch on this final climb quickly. It's 10 kilometres averaging 5%, but it is skewed because the middle section there's actually a downhill part and a false flat. So the first two, almost three kilometres, averages 6.6, .6, and the last four kilometres averages 7.5%. So it's actually a really tough climb. Um, it's time for Enrique Mas to go on the attack. I think if he waits for that last four kilometres, tries to attack, he was the best up Sierra Nevada of the GC guys. He needs to... Um, he needs to start eating into that two-minute advantage that Remco's got on him. Yeah, that's the uh, that's that's where the danger can uh, can come back. And Mark, I'm going to have you ask your opinion again. I'm bringing this thing back up. Two minutes and one seconds for Henrik Mas on uh, Remco Evenepoel. Is it too much, or is just promising us some fantastic three the three next stage? It would be fire all across, all over the all over the world. Quickly, quickly, I just want to come back to that stage preview because I just got off the phone with Bernie Eisel. He's in a team car. He's ahead of the race. He's doing a recon of this stage. I spoke to him on the phone, so he even had phone service. So imagine that. It's going <laughs> to be very interesting. He said the roads are really small. He said you're even going to see some greenery on the road today, wow. tight roads. He's expecting it to be a cracking stage. Of course, he is a director sportive for Bora. He's looking after Jai Hindley in this race. So a little bit of inf inside information there, which is always good to have. But yeah, looking to the GC, as you said, I think we're going to have to see some explosives during the stage. He's not going to offload a Vanderpool in the final there and look to make this race a, a cracking race. It'd be good to see them busted up just a little bit earlier in the stage, 20, 30 kilometers to go, especially if we've got some small roads. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, if there is a plan, is to put Remco under pressure. Uh, thank you uh, for joining us on this podcast. And I believe you both are, you two, on air later on tonight. Michael. We certainly are. 10.50, of course, on the main channel. 10.50 on demand. I've got, you know, I can't get enough of it. I've got the highlights going in the background here. So <laughs> just recapping. Um, there's going to be a big one. Nice touch. Uh, so that on your, on your screen. Mm. Oh, yeah. All <laughs> over it, mate. <laughs> Looking forward to see you uh, there. And then, Maka, we'll see you again in uh, the podcast. Same place, same time uh, tomorrow. This was the uh, Zwift SBS Cycling Podcast. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us and uh, giving us all your insight on why Philippe is not going to win the Tour de France. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mark. This is your last time on, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Thanks. See you then. See you, mate. Thanks for listening to the SBS Falter Espana podcast with Zwift. After five weeks on the road at the tour and no riding, I'm seriously playing some fitness catch-up with Walter Inspiration. To help with my motivation, I've set myself a target of finding a team and getting involved with the Zwift Racing League. Round one starts on the 13th of September and goes to the 18th of October. One race per week for six weeks. 
Whether you're just starting out on your fitness journey or like me getting back into things, or you're a six watts per kilo monster, you'll find a level of racing to suit. So if you're up for the fun cycling challenge, dive in and start riding with a free seven day trial at Zwift.com and find your ZRL team or register if you're all ready to go by Sunday the 11th of September. Hopefully I'll see you on the start line soon. Ride on.